And what I'd like to do is just take a minute and give you a little bit of history about Ben Williams, who's, uh, who's been a very uh, important uh, an alumnus for us, who has really left a, a legacy that's continued on years after his passing. Ben Williams was a member of the charter class of the new School of Commerce and Business uh, at Baylor. He entered the program in 1923, the year that uh, uh, the, pro the, the uh, school was chartered. He earned uh, his uh, business degree at Baylor and then uh, in the mid-30s uh, decided to go off for a graduate degree uh, after a, a couple of years in, in, uh, in industry uh, and got his MBA at the Wharton School in, uh, in the mid-30s. His career in sales and management training uh, spanned nearly five decades, during which time he was named as an outstanding alumnus of Baylor University and served as a Baylor trustee. Ben's generous endowments that he gave to the, uh, the university and to the business school include uh, faculty fellowships, include endowed faculty professorships, and then the speaker series uh, that is in his name. We're very appreciative of his dedication to the university and to the business school, and his legacy lives on through the impact uh, that this endowment has on our business program. Uh, that's a little bit about Ben Williams, and I'm going to ask uh, John Martin, who is the Carpe Collins Professor of Finance, to, uh, to come up. And I've asked John just to give you, uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, introduce very, very quickly our panel, who is also here and, and has spent uh, quite a bit of time preparing for this, and then we'll introduce our speaker. Thank you. Let me first tell you that we, the panelists who are here today are uh, Trevor Harris, who, raise your hand, Trevor. Trevor's from Morgan Stanley, and, well, he's now back at Columbia, uh, but has uh, also worked at Morgan Stanley as an advisor. Uh, Ron Naples, uh, recently uh, re retired to go on to do things uh, in public service in the state of Pennsylvania, runs their, uh, their, uh, their fund that's uh, trying to rejuvenate our economy. I think he told us last night he's managed to spend about $2.7 billion of their, uh, their funds up there and well on the way to getting the rest of that done. Uh, and then on the right over here, my good friend Don Chu. Don, uh, Don is at Morgan Stanley. He's the chief editor and editor of the uh, Journal of Applied Corporate Finance and a friend for many, many years. This is Don's third trip to Baylor, so uh, we're going to have to award him tenure here pretty soon, I think. Uh, our speaker today is Mike Jensen. Uh, how many of you were in this morning's presentation? Let me see your hands. Yeah, okay. Uh, Mike is, is now emeritus at Harvard University. Mike has been uh, uh, and st is uh, one of the leading scholars in the field of finance and has been for many years. He's the Jesse and Isidore Strauss Professor of Business Administration. Uh, he also, beginning in 2000, served at the Monitor Company as both managing director and senior advisor. Uh, holds four honorary degrees of laws. Uh, he's uh, been extremely active in publishing and his research as, uh, over the years. More than 100 scientific papers. Uh, his, pa his book in 1998 was Foundations of Organizational Strategy. In 2000, Theory of the Firm, Governance, Residual Claims, and Organizational Forms. And this morning, I think we heard that his most recent effort is not yet published, but on the way, CEO pay and what to do about it, restoring integrity to both executive compensation and capital market uh, relations. The, the, 
Another thing I'd like to say about Mike is he has been one of the most innovative members of our profession. Uh, he, he has done two things, any one of which would have been a career's worth of activity. The first thing is he was a founding editor of the Journal of Financial Economics, which is not even arguably. It is one of the very top journals in our field. He did this in 1973. Uh, if, if I have the numbers right, he was about six years out of graduate school at the time. Uh, he didn't know enough not to do that. Uh, that's not what you do uh, at that stage of your career, but Mike did. Then in 19, uh, later, I don't have the date down here, was it 92? No. Uh, later he did the uh, Social Science Research Network. He's founded, he's now chair of that group. That is the preeminent source of online publishing for finance, accounting, management, law, you name it, uh, all those things. And uh, today his talk is going to be on authenticity, passion, and integrity, the foundations of leadership, and a great life. But I will tell you one short story before we let him come up here. Mike has just returned from seeing his seventh grandchild. And after a, a string of six misses, he now has a granddaughter. <laughs> so uh, with that, let's welcome Mike Jensen. I get wired up here. Put that somewhere, I believe. Yeah. Let's make sure we get it on. That's that part. A little yeah. better in the back now? Well, I'm putting this on you without hurting us. Test it out. Say something to it. Very good. Okay. Thank you. So, um, this is a little different than finance stuff. Um, that, but there, I won't bother to explain it, but there is a straight line from where I was to where I am now. What I'm going to talk about today is some of the results or stuff I've learned over the last six years while working with my co-authors and collaborators, Werner Earhart, Steve Zafron, and Captain Kerry Granger at the United States Air Force Academy in our efforts to create, well, first of all, to figure out, understand, and be able to create leaders and effective leadership. And that's become my latest passion. And we're making great progress on it. We've been doing it in a laboratory, an experimental course on leadership, which Mark Zupan provided a University of Rochester, and now we're doing it at different places. And the idea is to plant this course in all major business schools in the world. So what I wanted to talk about today is not an entire semester. There are about 600 pages worth of material up on SSRN that are the result of these efforts, and you can go and look at it if you want. But I've learned a lot about things I didn't know before in this effort from the students and my co-authors and co-collaborators. So let me start out. This is a funny title. And I want to start out talking about passion and what I mean by that. 
I'm not particularly in love with that word, but it was too awkward to put in the title what I really wanted to say. So the dictionary says, passion is an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. So it's not unrelated to the underlying concept that I want you to get. And it is the concept, and this is going to sound funny, of being committed to something that's bigger than yourself. And it turns out that concept has enabled me to close the loop on a number of things in my scholarly work that I never could put quite together. So what I'm going to now say, because I can say it, the real title of this paper is The Importance of Being Committed to Something Bigger Than Yourself, and I'll say a little more about what that is, and Authenticity, and I'll say more about what that is, and Integrity as the Foundations for Extraordinary Leadership, for Extraordinary Companies, and for an extraordinary personal life. And now let me tie, I'll say one of the things that I've gotten very interested in in these efforts is to be able to put things together that give people access to something rather than mere knowledge to, about something. And I hope you leave here today with access to something a little bit anyway that you didn't have when you came in. This has had a big impact on my life. So let me first say why being committed to something bigger than yourself is one of the foundations of leadership, effective or great leadership. And what do I mean by being committed to something bigger than yourself? What I mean is, will somebody keep track and let me know when I've got five minutes left? So I don't want to be out of integrity. <laughs> what I mean by that is, well, let me tell you what I don't mean about it. I don't mean my money or your money. Your wealth. I don't mean my fame or your fame. That's all about us. It's all about oneself. If you're going to be an effective and a great leader, and you're only committed to things that are about you, you will not have the strength and the wherewithal to go through the valley of tears, maybe the valley of death, that you will experience as a leader in which everything is going wrong, and there's no help and no hope and if you're not committed to something beyond yourself, you won't get through that. If it's, and all great leaders go through crucible experiences. Many make an argument that crucible experiences where great loss or great challenges are encountered are the source of the creation of great leaders. I think you have to add to it 
that when those challenges or losses of loved ones, financial, whatever it is, happen, if it's going to make you a stronger and better leader, it will be because you approach it in a way that involves self-reflection, authentic self-reflection. And my own explanation about it is that what happens is when you go through something very painful like that, or very challenging, and you come out the other side after this self-reflection, there's a whole lot of stuff in the world that you used to think was important that isn't important at all. And that's an absolute requirement for effective leadership. And it also turns out to be a requirement for a great life. Now, it's possible in our leadership course, we've created a course which gives people the benefit of those crucible experiences without the pain. We don't have time to go into how we exactly do that. But I do want you to get that a very important part of it is being committed to something bigger than yourself. Now, nobody ever told me that when I was in graduate school. I know we don't tell that to our Harvard students. And what is it that's important about that? You're all, those of you in this room who are successful and approaching my age have had your share of crucible experiences. There's a lot of young people in the room that haven't had those yet. Some have. But let me give you an example of one crucible experience that everybody has, and there's no avoiding it. And it is something called the midlife crisis. It happened somewhere in the 40s or 50s. And what happens is what brings about the midlife crisis is there'll be some point in your life where you stop measuring time from the beginning and you start measuring time from the end. And that's a profound experience because what it brings about is the realization that given the choices you've made, your opportunity set is no longer unlimited and unconstrained. And one of the things that tends to come up is, is this all there is? Because I'm here and I can't get everywhere now. And that's when people start to do crazy things. You know, they buy red convertibles and they get girlfriends or boyfriends. And it's symmetric on both sides of the gender domain here. It's very, it can be a very painful time. If you, if you go into that time of your life and you're not committed to something bigger than yourself, you're going to go through a real tough time. And I want to make that clear. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter. And I, you can be in the billions. And it doesn't matter how famous you are. 
If that's all you've got, if that's all you're committed to, you're going to have a tough time getting through that midlife crisis as a whole person. And the same thing is true of companies. I get criticized a lot for arguing that companies should maximize value. A number of years ago, I got involved in this stakeholder value maximization debate as when I wrote a paper for a conference on that issue at, at Harvard, Harvard Business School. And I just want to read you a couple of paragraphs that show where I hadn't closed the loop right. And the realization that I just gave to you will enable me to close the loop and may turn out to be of some value to you. So in that paper, I created what I called enlightened value creation and enlightened stakeholder theory. And I argued that they were actually one and the same thing, each taking parts from the other. Here's what I had to say. Enlightened value maximization recognizes that communication with and motivation of an organization's managers employees and partners is extremely difficult. What this means in practice is that we simply tell all participants in an organization that its sole purpose is to maximize value. We will not get maximum value for that organization. We must give people enough structure to understand what maximizing value means so that they can be guided by it and therefore have a chance to actually achieve it. They must be turned on by the vision of the strategy in the sense that it taps into some human desire or passion of their own. For example, a desire to build the world's best automobile, or to create a film or play that will move people for centuries. All this can be not, not only consistent with value seeking, but a major contributor to it. And this brings us up against the limits of value maximization per se. Value seeking tells an organization and its participants how the success in achieving a vision or in implementing a strategy will be assessed. But value maximizing or value seeking says nothing about how to create a superior vision or a strategy, nor does it tell employees or managers how to find or establish initiatives or ventures that create value. It only tells them how we will measure success in their activity. So I want to make clear I'm not giving up value as the scorecard, but it's not the vision. And I have better language for that. Not only does great leaders have to be committed to something bigger themselves, great companies have to be committed to something bigger than themselves. And value is just the scorecard. You don't win the football game by looking at the scoreboard. You win the football game by a strategy, vision, and commitment. And that results in a score that's higher than the opponents. 
And that's what I would offer now is a way, I was always unhappy with the way this was left. We don't have much time, so I'm going to go very shortly on, on the rest of it. Authenticity is incredibly important to leadership and to having a great personal life. And the fact of the matter is most of us are not authentic, including me. And it's absolutely clear, and by the way, people know when you're not being authentic, so we're not conning anybody. And you're not going to have many followers as a leader. Inauthenticity as a leader is deadly. The neuroscience has now explained this. You have something called mirror neurons that allow us to intuitively know what's going on over there. And people know when you're being authentic and when you're being on inauthentic. Remarkably so. So what is, well, what is not the path to authenticity? It's standing in front of a group of people and telling them that they should act authentically. That gives you no access whatsoever to authenticity. In fact, if you look at the logic of what I just said, I have told you to be inauthentic. Because acting authentic is not being authentic. And acting authentic is by definition inauthentic. And that won't get you there. Now here's the bad news. There is a path to authenticity. And you can get there without the crucible experiences that Bill George and others, great leaders, have experienced. By the way, Bill George's book, he was the CEO, he went became the CEO of Medtronics. It was a $1 billion company. And 13 years later, it was a $20 billion company when he retired and then went to the Harvard Business School to teach leadership. A very wise and a very perceptive man. Read his book. Especially read chapter two in which he talks about his own inauthenticities, very frankly, very openly, and his own crucible experiences and how those contributed to who he is now. And he is truly a great leader. So the path to authenticity is to be authentic about your own inauthenticities and be ruthlessly so and share it with somebody. And I guarantee you, if you do that, your life will change dramatically. Everything in your design will be telling you not to do that. It's not easy. If you want to be a successful leader, start by being authentic about your inauthenticities when you're not true, when you're not genuine, when you're not being completely frank. And you will find, because you're no different than me or anybody else, every human being does this. And if you can get to the other side of that, you will find a power 
I don't mean power in the sense of force, but power in which people will be willing to listen to you and follow you and collaborate with you and be with you. And that is critical. The last thing is integrity. And I can tell you it takes me two hours to do integrity, so, and I did it this morning with a subset of the audience. And we have a new way of thinking about integrity. And it is, and I can't summarize it really very adequately in a few minutes, but I'll take a stab at it. Because integrity is the third pillar of this foundation for great leadership, great companies, and a great personal life where peace prevails and success manifests itself. So integrity, as we define it, has nothing to do with good or bad, wrong or right, desirable or undesirable. It simply has to do with being whole and complete as a person or whole and complete as an organization. It comes right out of the dictionary definition. What does that mean for a human being? To be whole and complete, and being in integrity, what we say is you have to be whole and complete with your work. And now how do we define what does it mean, what is actionable that you can actually do to be whole and complete with your word? It's actually quite simple. You either keep your word and you keep it on time, or if you're not going to keep your word, you say to those who are counting on you to keep your word, as soon as you know you're not going to keep your word and you're not going to keep it on time, you say to those who are counting on you that you are not going to keep that word. And you may not be going to keep it at all, or you may be going to deliver it a month later. And the second part is you clean up the mess that you've caused by not keeping your word in their lives. All of the people who are counting on you to keep that word. Do not, under any circumstance, get confused that integrity is keeping your word. That is guaranteed to leave you out of integrity. Why? Because if you're up to anything at all important in life, and everybody in this room is, you will be giving your word to things that neither you nor anybody else in the world knows how to accomplish. That's the essence, one very important essence of leadership. And by the way, leadership starts with being the leader of your own life. And that's why it is that the very same principles that will make you a successful leader in the world, a leader of others, will also make you a very successful leader of your own life, and that will bring about amazing results. Peace, satisfaction, success. Well, we could go on for a long time talking about that, but i just give you that as a flavor. Those, as far as I can tell, are the three fundamentals, the foundational elements. There's a lot more you put on top of it, but if we want to go to the foundations, 
and I want to give you an actionable pathway, or at least an indication what an actionable pathway is. I've described in all three of these cases how to do it. I haven't told you what it is in, in a purely epistemological sense. I've given you a path, an actionable pathway to get there. And good luck, because it's a lot of fun. In the interest of time, we're going to hold off on any Q&A for the moment. If you, uh, but uh, there, there's, uh, uh, Dr. Jensen will be a part of the panel, and I'm sure that there's going to be some, some elements of what he talked about that uh, you can phrase some questions about and, and probe uh, his, uh, uh, his comments that you just heard a little further. Uh, one thing we've tried to do with our Ben Williams speakers is just give you something to think about. Uh, I think one thing that we, we try to do is, is to get you to think a little bit about these issues uh, before you're faced with them in, in terms of any consequential types of decisions. And I think you did that, uh, Dr. Jensen. We very much appreciate it. I do have a, uh, I do have a plaque that uh, we'd like to present to you. It's, it's uh, a plaque that just says, in appreciation to Michael C. Jensen, the Ben Williams Distinguished Speaker Series, November, Friday, November the 13th, 2009. Uh, usually I think of uh, Friday the 13th as being unlucky, but I think we've been very fortunate and lucky to have you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.